This week on Out Now with Internet, we are talking Asteroid City. When are we going to be in a Wes Anderson movie? We have funny costumes. One, two, three. Holy D. They're alien who walk heaven. Lean and skinny, about six foot seven. Don't we know you ain't our brother or your friend or foe? Or we are now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and as always this is abe hello aaron how are you I, i'm doing well it's been a it's been a sunny weekend it's a nice morning <laughs> i got to, i got to have a nice breakfast before we started this in honor of both uh a, a, a podcast our guest is a part of and because i was watching an episode of a, of a show that i'll talk uh-huh. about quickies Trademark. spoilers it's the bear oh um, okay <laughs> but Abe, how are you doing just really got you hungry like that dexter opening got it both of those things exactly like yeah i'm doing well thank you for asking i uh, uh had a little birthday shindig yesterday for a friend oh. uh, and you know just kind of relaxing it's great Play pin the tail on the donkey, or we did, yeah. Uh, we we did like Millhouse style in The Simpsons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies, we most support for your review. The occasional commentary track or some other fun movie topic. This episode, this is episode, this is episode, this is episode 539. 539. What a great number to have a new guest! It is, and uh, this week we are talking Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Not to be confused with Meteor Town, but um, <laughs> this whatever that was like a, a asylum knockoff. I was just saying, of, of, I was like just a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. <laughs> asylum, the exact out. same thing. Yeah. Uh, joining us to discuss Asteroid City, we have from the Linoleum Knife Podcast, writer for the Film Verdict, and author of books including "Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas." He can't wake up if he doesn't fall asleep. It's Alonzo Duralde. Hello. Alonzo, good to have you here. Good to have you. Good to have a first time guest on the yeah. show. Uh, and Long time very, listener, I'm sure. And, <laughs> and 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 very nice to just have a have a, a a prolific film critic along with us to talk about a new Wes Anderson movie. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I, sure. I will. I will take prolific as a as a <laughs> as a descriptor. Why not? Yeah. I've been called worse. <laughs> oh no. Well, yeah. We're uh, that we're... lousy film critic. Oh no. <laughs> We're we're excited to have you here. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good, thank you. It's um, you know, it's it, it's a nutty time of year. We're coming to the end of Pride and into Christmas in July. So you know, as a uh, a gay Christmas movie expert, there's just uh, more happening that I can deal with. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, Christmas in July. Okay, we gotta you know remember that. I mean, it's Hallmark does. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Boy, I how mean, do you do they? Yeah. Uh, let's get so let's get some show notes real quick here. Uh, first up, new commentary track. We're doing a thing called Superhero Summer all summer long and out now, where every month we talk about a new superhero film for our commentary of the month. And uh, this month we've done The Mask of Zorro in honor of its 25th anniversary, which was a lot of fun to record. Uh, that's uh, up now. Uh, and uh, coming next month, since we're getting close to July, well, we'll be doing The Dark Knight for its 15th anniversary. Wow. Stay tuned. We got so. Uh, Another heavy hitter in the realm of commentary tracks to do for this show. Yeah. Um, but you can find all of those things and more over on iTunes, where you can find all the episodes of our podcast. And you can also click the old ratings and review tab and give us a rating review, which would be great. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah, pop us up in the old iTunes charts. Um, 
So let's talk about the 11th annual summer movie gamble. Okay. The uh, the most important competition of the year. Yeah. Um, I don't just mean at our show. I just mean in general. No, oh, yeah, yeah. We're we're bigger than the Oscars. We get yeah, it. So so Alonzo, Abe, and I, along with many other friends of the show, are wrapped up in a stiff competition where we've all predicted what we think are going to be the top ten highest grossing films of the summer at the domestic box office, and. Um, we do. We provide a little bit of an update every week on the box office, and like I can talk about how Spider Man's making a lot of money, and like Little Mermaid and Guardians are still like holding strong as well. But I want to talk about the Flash because okay. <laughs> the Flash is obviously a movie that we all predicted would you know be among the top ten. Okay, why wouldn't you? It's the it's a superhero movie starring I'm open the Flash. Up my uh, my predictions right now. Well, <laughs> well, the Flash dropped seventy two percent in its uh, second weekend. Yep, uh, it made fifteen million dollars. Not great. Uh, to put that in perspective, I believe that's the the biggest drop since Morbius and one of the biggest drops <laughs> of all time when it comes to superhero <laughs> films. It's first weekend it made, what, like 60-something, I believe? Yeah. This weekend it made 15. The fact that it's under 20 for a DC superhero film in its second weekend is impressive yeah. in some respects. It's, it's currently at $87 million. And meanwhile, Elemental held on to like only a 38% drop, which mm-hmm. shows you the power of family movies. Um, yeah. But I, I, I want to ask this question. I, Alonzo, I want to include you with this too. The Flash, regardless of how we feel about the movie, what is it that people are just saying no to? I'm very curious about this. Like, what, what do you mm. think is like the, we don't want this? That seems to be the kind of prevailing message with this movie. Good, good question. I mean, because yeah, I think the critics have their own answers to this, but that doesn't necessarily bleed into how the public exactly responds mm. to this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect... There's a combination of factors in that, you know, uh, first weekends for superhero movies, especially like the the Thursday and Friday kind of reflect the the slavering, like, can't wait to see this, bought my tickets in advance, got to be the first in the theater, you know, enthusiasm for that. And then at after that point, it's it's a it's a combination of like getting regular folks excited about this movie and then also getting those cats to see it multiple times and so maybe neither of those things is happening it it certainly appears that way yeah and like i've been not adamant but i've certainly been skeptical upon the idea that ezra miller's off-camera shenanigans to put it in the lightest phrasing um terrorizing the uh, the world is another way of phrasing it uh <laughs> I, I feel like that generally from my perspective at first at least generally applies to like a, if you know that you know that but that's not necessarily dissuading the american populace of seeing a movie now i, I don't know i now mean it, <laughs> yeah it does seem a little inside baseball but but yeah maybe more people find out about it than not a, a deadline had a really good piece where they sort of talked about the reverberations of it and how this might affect like the, the the threat of a of a sag strike coming up which is this here you have a movie where they basically didn't know how to promote it because mm-hmm. you can't send your star out to do interviews mm-hmm. and then because of the writer strike you don't have the late night talk shows so yeah say yeah. your your ben afflecks who don't want to sit down with just any reporter to get asked just any old question, mm-hmm. but they will sit down with Fallon, you know, or Kimmel or Stephen Colbert and, and like know the landscape and know what they are and aren't going to get asked. And so you take all that stuff off the board, then you are removing a way to take this movie beyond like the people on film Twitter, beyond the hardcore DC or, you know, superhero movie fans in general to the general public. And the general public looks at it and goes, 
He, which one is he? Is he the one who runs fast? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I guess yeah. you know. And, and Michael so... Keaton's there, I guess. That's weird. Like, exactly. I, and I forgot about the talk show factor. That's a really good point. I completely yeah. forgot about that aspect as far as what's going on right now with the strike. So that's like between that, Ezra Miller, also inside baseball to a degree, but like the fact that like this has no real, this is there's no follow up to this given that DC is going to hold you know basically change in wholesale after this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, separately, those things might be, you know, lesser, but combined, yeah, I could see all of that being a reason as to why it's just the, and also like the B cinema score, which is like, eh, people just didn't really care for the really uh, vibe <laughs> with it. Yeah. My, my take on it is that there, there's just a whole lot of other things to see. Go, go see across the Spider Verse 13 times. Certainly a lot of options out there. That's never, uh, that that that's also a good point. It's it's a great it, thing for the movie industry. It's probably not great for the Flash. I definitely echo everything you guys have said about uh, Ezra and also just the uh, the internal word of mouth. It's not great when the other options are are better, or way better in, in yeah. the in the eyes of the audience that's seeing it. So, well, and I, I've been quoting this for years. There's somebody in the LA Times wrote years ago talking about the industry really leaning so heavily onto superhero movies, you know, a one crop economy is what caused the Irish potato famine. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, if, if you have like three or four different superhero movies vying for the same segment of the audience and everyone is raving about how great the Spider-Man movie is and there's lingering goodwill for the guardians one. And then the flash opens and gets kind of a, you know, doesn't get promoted in the usual way and gets a a lot of shrugs then yeah it, it it kind of moves down your list of things to see whereas like if you if a superhero movie were an event we haven't had one in a while we aren't going to have one for a while that i think brings out more people who want the spectacle of the whole thing knowing that they aren't going to get force-fed that on a near weekly basis but when they come this pardon the expression fast and furious um then you know you uh you you get picky about which ones you're going to spend your money on for sure. Now that makes plenty of sense. And so that's just that's just, uh, you know, a good build up to a Blue Beetle in August when it has had all this time <laughs> to uh, to wait before another superhero movie comes out because we all can't wait for Blue Beetle. Right. We're all just sitting there being like Blue Beetle. When's it going to happen? <laughs> uh, they're, they're, I, I read they're hoping uh, they're hoping for a trilogy. So, I mean, <laughs> well, and, and, and that I mean, look, again, I, I think the idea of like, you know, do these movies have any follow up in the new James Gunn DC universe is as inside baseball as it gets. Sure. But I do think that that does it does make it weird that we're getting an origin story movie in the middle of all this. So, uh-huh. you know, uh, yeah, I mean, Blue Beetle. I think would be smart to really kind of lean into the Hispanic of it all, just because they've been very underrepresented among Mm -hmm. superhero movies. And that's a huge portion of the audience that goes and pays money to see movies. Yeah. Um, You know, and you'll see like horror movies and different films, like do these very specific campaigns towards, you know, uh, Latin and Hispanic viewers, because that is a really reliable uh, movie demographic these days. And so I'm sure that played a lot of role into why make a Blue Beetle movie in the first place. And I think if they're very savvy about marketing that, maybe, you know, like, I'm sure they've got a whole sort of ad layout plan for like Telemundo and Spanish language radio stations and that kind of thing. Uh, I think, you know, that could, that audience could save that movie. 
it, it's amazing how and not to get too sidetracked on blue beetle a movie that we've not seen it does not come out for two months but <laughs> it's amazing how like the social team knows exactly how to handle blue beetle but like the studios are like we shouldn't actually make a movie featuring Hispanic characters. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> Let's wait, like, I don't know, 15 years before we capitalize on that idea. Oh, yeah, no, always. And, and again, every time that that audience makes something a hit, you know, it's a fluke. It's always yeah, a fluke. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. The, the report, go see a shock, movie. Shock yeah, yeah. and surprise. This Blue Beetle makes <laughs> money at the box office in certain demographics. <laughs> uh, yeah, who saw that coming? Certainly not us, you know. Uh, all right. Well, Alonzo, thank you for for chiming on the splash talk. Because it's just it's so curious to me as far as this is a costly movie from a major studio and it's just dying on the vine right now. So yeah. it's a it's a thing. But um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on from uh, from our from our uh, summer gamble talk. Let's move in. Uh, let's move into out now quickies trademark. Each week out now, we have one main movie of the week that we talk about, but we also have other movies that we see during the week. That's why it's called called Out Quickies. Trademark. Wow, you yeah. said the whole thing this time. Like, so we I have, a, we have a new word. guest, so yeah, <laughs> I don't okay. want to like, freak him out by going my mild, my flash speed. Your flash speed? Yeah. read. <laughs> so I figured, let me lay this out in a slightly more Wait, that was words. the slow version? That was the slow that version. was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, Alonzo, I want to hear from you. What other movies have you seen recently? Uh, I've seen a few, actually. I, I was on, uh, my, my husband Dave and I were on KCRW Press Play this week, so that always means you know you've got to come in with a good handful so uh we talked about asteroid city there we talked about no hard feelings uh but a couple smaller films that i want to spotlight uh, that sure. folks should be on the lookout for they they may only be in new york and la right now but i'm sure they'll be expanding and then of course they'll be eventually available streaming um what is a film called nobody's fool from uh, french filmmaker alain Giraudy, who did um a stranger by the lake a few years ago okay and this is kind of a it's kind of a f- farce but also kind of a very serious movie about um uh you know it 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 it, it it's about a, a guy who falls in love with a sex worker and they're very attracted to each other but every time they try to get together something is constantly interrupting them uh one of those times being a, a terrorist incident and then there's a homeless uh, uh 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 egyptian teenager who the guy like lets uh, into his building which sets off this whole thing with the neighbors and with the other uh, uh arab teens who are after him and um you know it it it, it is this it's a sex farce, but it's also about, you know, contemporary geopolitics. I don't know. It's, huh. it, it, it wraps its arms around a lot, but it's very fun and very effective. And I, I highly recommend it. And then also uh, a new documentary called um, uh, Desperate Souls, Dark City and the Making of Midnight Cowboy, oh, okay. uh, which is about the making of the, you know, classic uh, best picture winner from uh, John Schlesinger. And it is not your standard sort of like, you know, DVD extra making of movie. The The film does a really great job of kind of contextualizing this film, where it came from in the culture, what was happening in the 1960s regarding, you know, uh, the changes in Hollywood and the Vietnam War and the rise of queer rights and all of these other things that, that kind of create the milieu that spawned the film. Um, and it's it's you know it takes a, a very sort of uh, impressionist approach like you do get clips from the movie and you do get talking head interviews but you also get all of this amazing footage from like other films and from you know war protests and and different things that are going on and it's all assembled really beautifully and in a very thought provoking way and uh, I've seen a lot of movies like this and I think this one's a real standout. That's yeah I've heard of that one for sure and that's I I knew the approach about it and that sounds very interesting to me so I'm very curious yeah, to check, check that out. one out. 
Um, well, very cool. Thanks, Alonzo. Uh, Abe, what have you seen yes. recently? Uh, I saw a movie that we're going to talk about probably at a later time uh, in its own special podcast or somewhere else. Uh, I saw Past Lives. Ah, okay. Uh, and right. uh, I'll, le- I'll leave that open. We'll, we'll talk more about it later. Um, I've also been watching uh, Righteous Gemstone Season 3. Uh, so TV corner and uh, hey man, check it out. It's it's uh now that we don't have Succession anymore, uh, check out the Righteous Gemstones. We have the better show about, about terrible terrible yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I love that Righteous Gemstones. Like if we get guest stars, we're going to ask them to put on the silliest wigs and costumes possible, even makeup if we need it. Like the like Shea Wiggum pulls up in the first episode. <laughs> like has, Shea, by the way, has, yeah. he's all over the place. Yeah. yeah. He's, oh, I <laughs> think the guests are like, this is what I want to wear. I, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I don't think it's against their will. I, I certainly think they're like, if I'm coming on the show, I'm going to be the silliest. I'm going to do it. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the case so far watching these first two episodes. I, I'm yeah. very much uh, very happy with what we're getting so far out of the not just the guests, but the show in general. But yeah, it's certainly fun. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, well, I mean, in terms of TV, I've I've had a number of things here. Honestly, the movies I've watched that are new, it's like streaming stuff that's kind of that's pretty boring. It's like I don't know, uh, there's, no, there's nothing really that interesting that I've seen. They're all just not good movies, so whatever. But as far as TV goes, it seems like this week was like let's cater to Aaron because it's like oh. yeah, let's bring back Righteous Gemstones, let's bring back The Bear season two, which is great. Uh, let's bring in the latest from Boots Riley because he has I'm a Virgo that's, that's on yeah, Prime yeah, yeah. Video, and as we yeah, were both fans of. Yeah, we were both fans of Sorry to Bother You when it came mm-hmm. out a few years back. Although, by the way, when that came out, Blind Spotting came out, it's like, what is it, summer, the summer of Oakland? And now, like, this year we have TV bring, like, a reprival of the same thing, where it's like Blind Spotting had season two, and I'm a Virgos now on Amazon. And um, uh, I'm very much enjoying it so far. It's very fun. And if you like Sorry to Bother You, it certainly has that kind of magical realism within a within oakland and with black voices telling the story it's very uh very mm-hmm. interesting in that regard and then on top of that they're like skull island uh <laughs> how about an animated series about skull island because aaron loves his giant monsters and kaiju so sure and i'm like all right and it's pretty solid so far as far as a uh, animated series about giant monsters on a deadly island go so i'm, I'm having a lot of fun there and where's that uh streaming that's on netflix um, oh, first time hearing of it cool yeah, they've been from legendaries like we're producing a Skull Island animated series. And I'm like, all right, I, I'm definitely going to go, go to there. Um, as far as like other movies that I've seen recently, though, I, I've watched all of the Mission Impossible films again okay. um, in preparation for this coming Mission Impossible, which yeah. is uh, screening early because I don't know if you know this, Abe, but the industry's on fire right now. And they're going to like not have time to do certain things anymore. Heard some stuff about that. <laughs> so they're screening like a lot of movies really early. Um. But uh, hey, that Mission Impossible series, pretty damn good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but it's uh, pretty great. I hear it's fun to watch the uh, cell phone and computer technology progress <laughs> over the uh, yes, yeah. yes, it very much. Yeah, is. I don't know if you remember from Mission Impossible One where he just starts emailing everybody in the Job thing, where he's like Max at Job dot com. Like what? He has um he he has what's it called um zip zip uh discs. As yeah, well. he's, he, he's a hundred megabyte size because yeah. <laughs> they're they're huge. <laughs> That's the stuff. Yeah. And I, I always forget, but it takes till movie five for Ving Rhames to get into his hat phase, which is uh, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, character evolves on an, an article. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's uh, that's been a lot of fun as well. Right. And one one last thing I've been I watched uh, because it was Juneteenth last week. I was yes. like, let me let me do some my black due diligence. So I watched The Learning Tree, uh, oh. Gordon Parks' uh, film, uh, the director of Shaft, his first film, which was the 
believe like the first major studio film directed by a black director and uh, i it's believe a, you're right yeah it's a it's a really nice coming of age really nice it's a very racist but very nice coming of age story <laughs> yeah. of dealing with racism in 1920s in can kansas yeah um but certainly a, a, a really uh, a, a movie well worth watching in terms of if you're looking for that kind of content it does the job really well hmm. um but yeah so that's that's what i've been up to <laughs> the past week as far as great go. and that's on that quickness great mark all right, let's get to our trailer talk. This is where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, and what have you. And this week we're talking Priscilla. This is the upcoming biopic um, concerning uh, Priscilla Presley. It's directed by Sofia Coppola. It's based on the novel Elvis and Me. That's by Priscilla the Presley. Memoir. And the memoir, sorry. Yeah. The, well, the novel. The memoir by Priscilla Presley and Sandra Harmon. Um, it features Kaylee Spanny as Priscilla Presley. And Jacob Elordi as Elvis, I believe he's best known for what Euphoria and mm-hmm. um, that those kissing booth movies. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the the film itself follows Priscilla Presley in her life, um, specifically with Elvis, I'd imagine. But with all that said, Alonzo, what do you what do you think of the trip? Are you excited for a movie focused on Priscilla? I'm I'm interested certainly. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm of two thoughts. One is that, of course, you know, Priscilla Presley is an executive producer of this movie, and so it makes me want to kind of put it in the category with the spate of documentaries we've had in the last few years, where people, where like you know, a a, a legend will executive produce or otherwise sort of back a documentary, which means that the documentarian gets access to footage and interviews and all that kind of stuff, but at the same time is never going to get too wartsy about anything, you know, and and so uh, if if we see the 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 HBO Tina Turner documentary R.I.P. or the you know the HBO Bee Gees documentary or whatever, like we know they were involved in the making of it, so the movie's gonna they they have say about let's not talk about this uncomfortable thing you know uh so a priscilla presley executive produced movie about priscilla presley's life gives me a little pause on the other hand sofia coppola like this is so in her wheelhouse of movies about sheltered adolescent girls uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know kind of being hidden away from the world <laughs> you know uh, uh it, it's so of a piece with i mean really you could take it all the way back to to you know the her 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 co-written New York stories segment, Life Without Zoe. But if you look at, you know, Virgin Suicides and Marie Antoinette and Nowhere and, or sorry, uh, Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and so many of her films, they are about, you know, kind of the the beguiled, you know, the, the teen girls uh, cloistered away from the world, whether it's in, in poverty or in privilege, but, but like, you know, living on their own. And so I think this is going to be a movie about Priscilla Presley going from a very sort of protective military father household to then being ensconced in Elvis's world and Graceland and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I want to see the Sofia Coppola version of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I, I can hear you on that one. For, first off, I do think that we should pitch the idea of nowhere to American Zoetrope as a sequel to somewhere. And it just focuses on <laughs> Elle Fanning, like her, her Stephen Dorff's like completely abandoned her at this point. And she's just like, she's now still what? at the Chateau Marmont. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, she waves to Benicio del Toro, the elevator. Then, like it just happens. Still. <laughs> but um, but uh, I will point out, like I, I hear what you said as far as, you know, having a having a film that has the actual like you know the person involved producing the film having a certain perspective, I do find it curious. It's coming a year after, obviously, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, but mm-hmm. also the fact that the Elvis estate has come out and said that they are against this movie, which makes mm-hmm. me think 
Well, I mean, in terms of perspective, they might be highlighting some things that at least one party involved in this is not very uh, fond of. But uh, well, wait, know. who is the Elvis estate if not Priscilla and you know? Uh, I, I I'm not exactly sure when that because I was like, well, yeah. Priscilla, she's you know involved in this movie, but the Elvis estate not happy huh, with this because 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 Priscilla was definitely taking point on the Baz Luhrmann movie. So uh-huh. mm-hmm. hmm, fascinating. I'm, I'm certainly curious. Abe, where were your thoughts on Priscilla? You nailed it with uh, your last comment there. I'm very curious because the Elvis Presley estate, whoever they are, people that run the museum, the gift shop, I don't know. uh, (laughs) They're just like, hey, we don't like this movie or we don't agree with the things that are being portrayed in this movie. And Priscilla's like, I like it. I I actually want to see what Sofia Coppola is going to do with uh, her interpretation of my words. And I'm like, this is a this is fascinating. This is actually great. I actually want to see maybe like the, uh, you know, the the seedier and darker things that happened between the relationship between Elvis and Priscilla, which I think I don't know what the age gap is, but there is an age gap there. So oh, yeah. very curious. It's not small. <laughs> yeah, it's not small. So uh, very curious to see how Sophie Coppola, somebody who I I really uh, dig the work of, um, is gonna is gonna make this movie written and directed by. So let's do it. Yeah, I agree with the points that have been made, and also any chance to get you know new music by Phoenix. I'm all about that. Ooh. So you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just it seems like it's satisfying all the things. Have you? <laughs> do you listen to the cover band Dark Phoenix? Jk, Jk. Is that is that who are the who's the front man of that one? Scott Summers. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Key Johnson is is their manager. Scott Summers, Logan, Remy LeBeau. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a tribute band. Xavier's their drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Priscilla uh, arrives sometime in 2023. I, it says October. I think that might be like festival dates, but let's assume that it arrives during award season. Just a guess. Um, <laughs> but, okay. Well, let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Asteroid City. What do those pulses indicate? What? Oh, the beeps and blips? We don't know. Some of our information about outer space may no longer be completely accurate. Anyway, there's still only nine planets in the solar system as far as we know, Billy. Except now there's an alien. What's happening now? I don't know. I don't like the way that guy looked at us. The alien. How did he, how did he look? Like we're doomed. Maybe we are. I've just informed the president. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City legally? The world will never be the same. That's an alien doing Jeffy Jacks. That's an alien in a top hat. What's out there? The meaning of life. Maybe there is one. Are you married? I'm a widower. But don't tell my kids. You're saying her mother died three weeks ago. Let's say she's in heaven. Which doesn't exist for me, of course, but you're Episcopalian. In my loneliness, I've learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. Sometimes I think I feel more at home outside the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, wow. Me too. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Asteroid City. Wes Anderson has returned, and he's headed west for his latest film, another ensemble comedy featuring plenty of his regulars, including Jason Schwartzman, Tilda Swinton, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, and Willem Dafoe, along with a handful of newcomers, including Tom Hanks, Steve Carell, Maya Hawke, Matt Dillon, and Margot Robbie. The story is set in a version of 1955, where multiple people gather in a small town for the Junior Stargazer Convention, which is eventually complicated by the presence of a UFO. As this is going on, we are given various asides concerning the creation of this story, as it is actually an elaborate stage play, complete with its own backstory. Alonzo, I'm curious if you feel there are various stages of Anderson's cinematic career, given the evolution of his style, assuming you agree with that, as well as how you think he's doing currently, 
and what do you think of this film? Oh, okay. Let me unpack that one. Sorry. Um, (laughs) We like to hit Uh, it with the hard hitters. A, yes. Uh, B, no. Uh, So, yeah, absolutely. I think his, his style has evolved. I mean, like, good heavens, go back and look at at a bottle rocket and it just seems uh like you know there's obviously some seeds are being planted but i mean he really more fully comes into his own i think with with each uh uh passing uh film what was the second question (laughs) (laughs) well how do you think he's doing with this kind of current stage of his career oh right right um you know yeah i i think that the way that he has sort of structured his aesthetic over the years is that the more sort of artificial in quotes, his, his films become the, the closer he gets to the kind of truth that he's chasing. You know, I, he, he, this is not a guy who hides behind artifice. This is a guy who implements artifice and sure. who, who uses artifice as a tool to sort of dig down into what's really going on beneath it to find the messy human core of these kind of perfect surfaces. Um, this film, I, I have to say, I'm really glad I got to see it a second time before uh, reviewing it in various places. I wish I'd, I'd gotten to see it twice before talking about it on breakfast all day, because I have to admit the first viewing left me a little cold because I thought I was watching a movie about Asteroid City and on that level, I just found it uh, all too sort of, you know, manicured and and mannered. But watching it again and realizing that it is a movie about theater and that the framing device is really what's driving the engine of this film and not so much the story itself that's being enacted for us. Because, yeah, the, you're watching a TV show about a fictional play and that fictional play is shot like a movie. <laughs> uh, but then occasionally people walk off and they're backstage at a New York theater. But even the backstage of New York theater part is part of a television drama that is fictional. So <laughs> you have to kind of keep all of those plates spinning in your head. But if you approach it from that angle, I think there that he is really getting at a lot in terms of not just sort of the history of the American theater, specifically the 1950s and the method and, you know, the actor's studio and Elliot Kazan and all that stuff. Um, But he is using all of that stuff as a way to address things like grief and loss that do pop up along the way that might seem like they're being handled in a surface way within the the asteroid city part but i think that gain a richness when you take into account all of the backstage stuff as well mm-hmm. okay well it sounds like you're a fan um i i am it's not maybe one of my favorite wes anderson movies it didn't mm-hmm. gut punch me the way something like uh rushmore or fantastic mr fox does mm-hmm. but uh i i i do think it is I think there's a lot more going on than maybe the casual viewer might give it credit for. And Mm -hmm. I think that it is part of an ongoing process of Anderson telling the things that he wants to tell in the way that he wants to tell them. Yeah, for sure. Um, Offhand, I know this movie got a B cinema score. I don't know how that reflects on Wes Anderson movies in general, though, so it's hard to like gauge (laughs) if that's above or below average. But it did have a $9 million opening in its wide release, which is the highest for a Wes Anderson movie ever as far as its domestic wide opening. Uh, Apparently the highest per screen average since uh, the La La Land release. Yeah, when it opened the last week with a couple of screens. Yeah, Yeah, and and given how much like, you know, indie art house type films were suffering in the the immediate 
immediate sort of post-lockdown era, um, you know, just ask Steven Spielberg. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, this this marks a, a, a larger willingness for people to return to the theater for things that aren't, you know, superhero movies. For sure. It doesn't hurt that it has Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Margot Robbie, and <laughs> yeah, an incredible cast. But uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, it, it's a it's a it's it's all positive in the regard yeah, and, of hey, and this movie a, made money, <laughs> and he's a and he's a brand at this point also, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Abe, I, yes. I I'm well aware that we're you know you and I are both big fans of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I have him in uh, my cell phone number as Wessie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe I recall you enjoying French Dispatch quite a bit, but I am curious. The same similar question: How do you think he's doing with this kind of current phase of his career? And what do you think of this film? Yeah, uh, I in his current phase, I think that he is just really kind of exploring the weirdness of Wes Anderson. Um, and I say this mostly because he's kind of playing with style. He's kind of playing with different art form like you see a lot more animation in his movies and then you also see as you as a uh, alonzo eloquent pointed out you see a lot more like playwriting kind of type deals like french dispatch was very much a it was, it was almost like a non-sequitur type movie all revolving around uh this you know new york uh magazine style yeah new yorker style magazine um the french dispatch and this one it's also broken up in different acts you see a lot of different uh title cards and what have you um, and like what Alonzo was saying, this is a this is a, a weird movie about a, uh, a documentary kind of redoing a TV show, redoing like there were I guess there was a full movie made. That's what the, you see the full scale color uh, version. It's like a, all a stage by the, play. That, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. That all played by the same characters from the stage play. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it's it's very quirky and weird. And I had difficulty in my screening because some guy was like high on mushrooms and he <laughs> he's like he had to go out into the the uh the hallway area and then uh the manager of the theater had to like come in <laughs> he didn't stop the movie they they just had to come in and then uh he was talking to him you could kind of hear some murmuring in the hallway and then he the manager comes out into the main theater the row where the guy's friends are and he's like hey somebody needs to come help me out and again this is all kind of like hushed voices but they're sitting in that area before the break where the stadium seats are this almost adds to like the framework of the movie exactly. like one yes. movie within a movie <laughs> and then you have so this other strange. audience experience yeah. like you have a gremlins 2 thing going on <laughs> at this film right now. <laughs> the manager is getting his, his, their friends it's in Imergo. yeah <laughs> getting one friend over to go help this dude out and uh and then the entire like there's like six of these people. Then they all just get up and they all go out into the hallway. But even while all this is happening, there's like a lot of people just moving in and out of the theater. It was it was needless to say like a very strange and probably not the best theater experience. All this to say that I definitely need to see it a second time as well. Um, I I did enjoy parts of this movie. I kind of wish that I wasn't so distracted. Yeah. Uh, by all of this commotion, like through the second act of this movie. Um, and that really didn't help the viewing experience, uh, but I want to see it again. I, I do think that there are some nuggets and gems here, but in large part, I think that this is also Wes Anderson kind of flexing some of his muscle and saying, A, like, yes, I'm I'm a well enough established director now that I can probably get a cast of a lot of people that 
people really enjoy seeing. So I love that there is a uh, a huge opening for him, uh, considering that this is a smallish movie. And then B, I think that the cultural zeitgeist has had Wes Anderson in its sights recently. And they, I don't know if you guys have seen all these reels and all I these like it. TikToks. <laughs> I hate yeah, it. Yeah, and I know like, they're there, but I haven't been looking. At I have. I don't dig too deep because I hate because I, I hate it just seeing a screenshot of it. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, it, it's more just like you know. The, I think that if if we we three here on this panel today, if we're if we're watching these West Anderson movies, we've seen them. We've all we've all seen Bottle Rocket, maybe even Bottle Rocket the short, all the way through now. And there's there's Wes Anderson has like a lot of intentionality, a lot of attitude, a lot of like, you know, idiosyncrasies, a lot of detail and nuance in a lot of his shots. And just seeing all these reels and TikToks, you're just like these these a lot of them miss the mark uh, of what Wes Anderson is doing. And so I think that Wes Anderson's also it's not that he he watched these TikToks and like, watch me now. It was more just, hey, um, you guys, there there's a lot of intricacy in what i'm doing and it's not easily uh photocopied or xeroxed this is how daddy does it he refers to himself as dad yeah i guess yeah that's kind of weird <laughs> but all, all this to say is that um wes anderson is really like an american filmmaker that people know which is also a great thing for him in his career and so now in his career i think it's just Hey Wes Anderson, I'm gonna try and do a lot of good things because I think you know my feelings about his best movie, which is The Road Ten Bombs. Um, and I I really want to watch this again for a, a fuller effect because I did like parts of it. I also was again confused by parts of it, but mostly because I was also hearing this guy groaning in the in the hallway. Mm-hmm. So not great of an experience. Well, um, I I did once attend a screening of 2001 in 70 millimeter where somebody <laughs> had a full blown. Uh, uh, acid or mushroom meltdown oh, during no. the stargate sequence they had to stop the film bring no. up the lights take him out and then they started the reel over for us well that's at least something yeah <laughs> at least they started over the reel yeah 70 yeah, millimeters so, like come on don't don't ruin my experience here yeah no american cinematech they do it right but I, i'll never forget it it was <laughs> wow yeah the only, the only time I've had a stop and start over kind of experience is when the fire alarm was pulled during Les Miserables at the um, at the ArcLight in L.A. R.I.P. for now, um, mm-hmm. and and it stopped right after Anne Hathaway died, and they started the movie over right when she was about to die again. So I'm like, oh, this is depressing. <laughs> and that's why she that, won an Oscar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she had to die twice. <laughs> Um, as far as this film goes and Wes Anderson, obviously, yes, I'm a big fan of Anderson. In my eyes, he hasn't missed. Like, I, I don't think he's ever made a less than good movie. Um, so I'm just, you know, by default, I'm always excited to see a new Wes Anderson picture. And this one did, it did not disappoint. I will say I've also seen it twice at this point. I saw it again with my father who um, has gone from being like Royal Tannenbaum. That movie was a chore too. This is one of my favorite directors. Um, so he's had quite the journey with Wes Anderson. Um, and he quite enjoyed this movie as well. Uh, but Having seen it twice, I, I agree, Alonzo, with what you're kind of getting at as far as kind of what you're prepared for versus what you're getting. Yeah. And I it, it is it is that kind of that framing device that obviously you don't really know going in if you're if you're you know remaining kind of completely fresh on the even if you see the trailers, it's not really hinting at the idea that there's this other aspect of it as far as how it's gonna be working. Um, but it does continue his theme where at least I mean there's always like framing devices of some kind in his films, but like since like Grand Budapest, it seems like he's become like my favorite nesting doll director. As far as just like going <laughs> deeper and deeper uh, into the 
into into his his worlds and how he wants to construct them to you know comment on his own stories that he's getting into and i i find that i just find that fascinating and like not to say that like the first time i just didn't get it or didn't work for me but like you know knowing what i was getting into that second time certainly added a a perspective as far as how to kind of take more of this in what i did like both times though watching the movie is the fact that it is kind of a you're watching a you're in the like the main story um in the in the asteroid city set story you're watching actors performing parts and by doing that it gives him this not an out but it gives him a certain like stylization he can have with his actors where the way they speak the way they perform is very deliberate Mm-hmm. And I like it's always I, I always find that interesting, like exercise for an actor to do something that feels like unnatural, but yet satisfies what kind of story is being told, which you can find in like Yorgos Lanthimos films or even like David Mamet movies, where it's just like there's such an interesting rhythm to like what's being expressed. So when you have these scenes with like Schwartzman and Johansson, who I think are really good in this movie together and their various forms of banter, it's so stylized and like heightened, and yet I'm completely like into it because of what's being unfold what's unfolding on screen so it's like that kind of stuff that's handled throughout this movie i think is really well done and just entertaining and then yes on top of that you do have this whole structure that's going on here so like trying to not necessarily figure out the movie but like coming to understand what anderson's going for and what these characters are going through Mm -hmm. that makes it both again entertaining because it's fairly comical but also the way it builds to certain emotional points well, I would agree it's not like on the top of my Anderson list as far as how it's hitting me. I do think it's certainly worthwhile and it has bits that like got me in a way that I wasn't expecting. There's a sequence. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just say there's a sequence with Tom Hanks, for example, that's very subtle. Right. Um, but like involves him kind of expressing a expressing a level of grief in a mm-hmm. in a in a situation where that wouldn't necessarily be the thing you think is gonna happen. And given that after two after last year's Tom Hanks fun where I had Pinocchio and the Colonel and I was not the highest on Tom Hanks. I'm glad to see him back here. Where he's you like, didn't oh, like is... the uh, man named auto remake or was that this year? Oh my God. I forgot about that too. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay. It's not like he's bad at that, but it's also like, I didn't need this movie. Right. But like watching, you know, this now is like, here's the Tom Hanks. I want to see. <laughs> so here's a performance I can get behind. Sure. And like, and the, another another scene with Schwartzman and Margot Robbie's character, where it's just like this is mm, yes. like yeah, a that piece was... of the movie right here. So it's yeah. like there's stuff like that, and those are like the two key examples. I have. Sure, there's yeah. stuff like that throughout that I think just in addition to being an entertaining movie that, and I know Anderson and the Coens hate using quirky, but it is a fucking quirky movie. <laughs> like it's hard to not say that about this. Sure, yeah. I, Any I, movie it... that has a vending machine that makes martinis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's really, he's got to give it up to the machine. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yes, I very much enjoyed this movie. I very much enjoyed the style in which it's made and like enjoy what Anderson's doing to increase this kind of how far he's willing to go to kind of get across some ideas. There's so much here that I, and I I look forward to watching it more because I think it has plenty of layers and things to explore. Yeah, no, this is a movie that I, I could see sort of sneaking up on me over the years and kind of, you know, one of my favorites of his is Fantastic Mr. Fox, because oh, I think yeah. in a way it is the ultimate Wes Anderson experience in that he's not just creating a diorama, he is creating a literal diorama and like mm-hmm. animating all the figures within it, you know, but right. I think this movie is in a lot of ways, maybe the ultimate expression of his interests as a storyteller and as a visual stylist, you know, um, I think that for a 
play or a film that is about watching actors act, watching actors enact a drama that has been written for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the temptation would be to sort of really bring that up by like staging the whole thing like it was Our Town, you know, or Dogville and just yeah, yeah. having them on a, on a stage with chalk marks. So the fact that all this is unfolding in this movie that is so richly presented this 1950s milieu that is so accurately captured in terms of the architecture and the cars and the color palette and the outfits and the, you know, all of that stuff just sort of adds it to it. I mean, like a little, a thing I noticed on the second viewing, for example, Rupert friend portrays a singing cowboy and yes. And when he walks, you hear his spurs. Yes. Uh And he's not wearing spurs. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I noticed that too. And I was like, wait a minute, because he comes in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Maya Hawk is kind of giving a lesson one time. And I was like, why are there spurs jingling? I looked down at his feet and I was like, there are no spurs there. <laughs> I like so, that, by the way, among his band that he has with him, he has Jarvis Cocker and Sway Jorge. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just like, you know, musicians that have been involved in West films that are just, just there. They're just there to hang out. Yeah. Like, part of it. Um, well, part of what you're saying about the layering, too, is I, I there is a lot to unpack here. And again, about stage production, kind of characterization of actors and how these actors portray them, because you mentioned that that sort of uh, smoking break moment for Houston Schwarzman and, and Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. And there's like that line earlier where where uh, somebody is talking to Edward Norton and kind of just being like uh or actually, it was actually uh, Adrian Brody. And it's like, you know, did you become the character or did the character become part of you? And it's like, it was actually just right before this. And it's like, this is really fascinating stuff about just, again, uh, this almost Birdman level of, of theater acting. Of just like, yeah, I'm, I'm really going to become this character. And all of a sudden, it's really hitting me that I I do empathize with this person. And that's where all the, the over overlay of the grief stuff kind of falls into and and it was a very touching moment and you're just like i know these people are actors on the screen here they're actors in real life as jason schwartzman and murder robbie but they're also acting as these character roles in this play and you're just like this is a weird meta moment but also i'm very touched by what i'm lit hearing and how i'm seeing this and uh wes anderson has like these beautiful like face shots um and the face shot that i'm thinking of specifically that is mirroring the margaret robbie one is in Grand Budapest where Saoirse Ronan has like Tony Revolori or F. Murray Abraham is talking about the scar on her face. And then there's like the, the wheel lights that are going on and, and uh, Saoirse Ronan is just there kind of looking at the camera down the barrel. And uh, it's just this, this really like beautiful shot. Um, but yeah, like, Wes Anderson just employs a lot of his, his like surgical tactical warfare and is able to compound a specific scene or a specific shot and just make it worth like 10 times more weight than it, than it normally would have. It, it's impressive looking at how much he, you know, how far he's come and like how he's, he's brought his people along with him where you have mm-hmm. Robert Yeoman, his cinematographer since Bottle Rocket. Um, like, as you just mentioned, there's like close up shots that, yes, like give you a sense of something based on just, you know, facial work and whatnot by the actors, yeah. but also it's such a wide film for a movie that's could seem contained given the limitations of a theatrical production being encased in a, you know, within a play, like all the, all the layers going on here. It's still a film that has like widescreen shots where you need a, 
you need you need a wide TV to encapsulate like all of the actors in certain scenes because of how broad he wants to make it, and yet mm-hmm. it could also be as intimate as he wants it to be and make that affecting. I get that that's just filmmaking, but it's still like for such a specific style that he's going for. I, I find it impressive to see like what scale looks like in a movie from him. Mm-hmm. I think that Anderson also really loves actors. Like this is a thing that the people would sure. say about Robert Altman all the time. Uh, but I think it, it applies to Anderson as well. Like this movie is about actors acting, you know, <laughs> and, and to the extent that even when the, even that, that amazing Margot Robbie scene, they're technically off stage, but they're still, performing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know the whole thing of schwartzman's character coming to see you know the playwright played by ed norton like he is giving a series of performances in that scene also Mm -hmm. by the way culminating in what i want to say is the first queer moment in a wes anderson movie ever so i believe you're right yeah um Mm -hmm. but anyway so you know i i think there is so much about this movie that isn't just about the sort of you know layers of storytelling but also about the layers of performance you know the character that the actress played by um scarlett johansson is playing is herself an actress and Mm -hmm. in the the play she reads a scene from another thing that she's doing so that's like you have you have the the actress playing another actress enacting a drama in which she's performing from another drama like it just right. it, it all piles up and it sounds we might be making this sound like insufferably like uh <laughs> in up its own ass but it's not it actually yeah. i think really does work but but uh, second viewing highly recommended if <laughs> we'll if, do. Nolan, yeah. if no one can do this with on blockbuster scale then we'll watch anderson do this on the smaller scale all day <laughs> that's as i said nesting doll director He's yeah just exactly. just it in um you you talked about that scene there and this is going into a question i have for both of you which is the humor of this movie yeah um i found there to be a lot of humor and i at sometimes i was the only one laughing in the theater which is very strange because you feel like you're just being a, a jerk sometimes. You're like, well, here's a good. This is a good line. Like when when Adrian Brody and Hung Chow are, t- are speaking, and then he said she tells them to rewrite it so that she says the line after she closes the door, and then she exits the frame, closes the door, and she says bye. And I I, I chuckled in my seat, and nobody else chuckled with me. I was like, guys, this is this is a, a Fableman's moment of you know putting the skyline high and low, not in the middle. Like, why do you guys not understand this humor? But I want to ask you guys, like, what do you guys think of the humor in this? Anderson has always had humor, but this one seems like it's it's on like everybody's firing. Hey, first off, if you're the only one laughing, own that shit. Laugh harder. Uh, That's yes. what I say. <laughs> <laughs> you um, won. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna uh, roll in the in the in the stairway. This movie is no audience. doubt. This movie is no doubt funny. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, uh, I the second, I mean, the first time bunch of critics including alonzo like yeah people are laughing because we were there we're having you guys get it uh but the 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 second time i saw with a general audience people were laughing people were having a good time in my theater like it it seemed like they got what the film was going for and and because they should like it's it's you know it's as deep as you want to take it as far as what's what anderson's going after here it is ultimately farce in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. there's so much play on stuff that's taking place like for one thing brian cranston who plays what seemingly a simple part of a narrator he gets funnier as the movie goes on and there's something very specific about like how they able to play him where he's not really 
changing what he's doing, but somehow the presence of him becomes more entertaining as you keep watching it. Which is the whole bit about first Jeffrey Wright and then Tilda Swinton giving speeches uh-huh. and then stepping forward and another microphone yes. showing up. Like, yeah, this movie is clearly intended to be funny, and I think it very much is. And, and yeah, I agree. the 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 paying audience I saw it with was definitely getting it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and so much of it has to do with like that that deadpan. Deadpan, yeah. dry, dry, dry mm-hmm. style that Anderson loves so much that he casts people who know how to do it well. And it's always kind of fun to see like who he's brought in and how good they are at it. Cause like at this point, we know Adrian Brody can do it. We know, uh, you know, Jason Schwartzman can do it. But like Matt Dillon yeah. is perfect yeah. at this. <laughs> yeah. You know, Hong Chow. Like, and so it's like, okay, yes, yeah. great. You're on board. You, you, you got the assignment. You're, you're giving those deliveries that these movies demand and, and nailing it. Mm-hmm. Liam Schreiber, who was in Isle of Dogs, but I mean, perfect here like he's, right. <laughs> as like probably the most serious person in this movie if you touch that butt i'm gonna break your neck <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your question if yes it's funny if the people are wrong yeah um, i'm glad <laughs> I, let's talk about the, some of the other performances here we've, sure. we've mentioned a few people but were there any like standout actors or you know performers in general and throughout this movie that you want to highlight Oh, uh, I mean, Alonzo, kid, I know the, that the you, kids are all really good. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I think you'd agree with this, but I think those three daughters of... Oh, <laughs> oh they're great. God, yes. Yeah. They were so funny. They were, and then I looked up, I was like, I, did they just green screen one girl twice? And it's like, no, they're all they're all <laughs> sisters, apparently. And there are twins, a set of twins there. So I like how your thought was, did Wes Anderson have the money to just green screen? No, I was like, this, he, he, it wouldn't be beyond him. And also, he would be great at it. But, <laughs> but uh, it was really fun just to have them kind of being weird and bantery and be like no we're vampires we're witches we're not training we're full witches and they just do curses and spells all the time and it, it's just really funny but also the other team yeah, the stargazers like, you know, yes. yeah so, so Star and, and uh, ethan josh lee and uh, grace edwards uh are really terrific as well mm-hmm. yeah i i agree there uh actually i think for the first much as the movie wants to like pivot away from them at times it's also like they're really entertaining watching yeah. it and like yeah and jake ryan who's you know something of a of a a point between the two since he mm-hmm. interacts so much with his father and tom hanks or what have you along with the other children you know the other right. junior stargazers yeah, I, yeah he is pretty i i think he I, given yeah his presence in eighth grade his presence in moonrise kingdom i think he I also love his scene that's outside of the asteroid city story. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With Scarlett Jansen. Yeah, yeah like, as the understudy. I, I look yeah. forward to what he's going to do. He seems like a very specific mm-hmm. kind of actor that has something in front of him that could right. be very cool. Yeah, and the only uh, the whole entire cast is great, but the the other person I want to highlight, um, just because I've kind of just seen him come on recently in Wes Anderson movies, is Jeffrey Wright. Um, oh, he's as, yeah. <laughs> as General Gibson in this movie. Yes. And he was great. He was fantastic in... French Dispatch, uh, one of the most moving. Basically, vignettes. playing James Baldwin. Essentially, yeah. yes, yeah. Should should have been nominated. Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah, should have been nominated. Uh, but he's also just here, like the way that he gives his speech, exactly the way that that Alonzo's talking with the dual mics, but also just the content of the speech is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I, I had this conversation with somebody recently, and I think that we've missed the the mar the 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 window of 
any actor getting nominated for a Wes Anderson movie because like, you know, there was a there was a push for Bill Murray in, in Rushmore and that should have happened and it didn't. Mm-hmm. But like now Gene Hackman obviously could have been nominated for, for yeah, yeah. Yeah. But now he's dealing with such massive ensembles that there's uh-huh. no way to like pick one Hope Davis or, you know, out of this group. Like there's just too many right. people jockeying for position. And so, you know, I, I think the best you can hope for at this point is the uh the spirit awards, you know, the Robert Altman award that they give for the ensemble. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't make star vehicles. He makes these, you know, like these massive troop movements now of of, of movies. It's fair. But even like up to Grand Budapest with like Ray Fiennes is another one that could have been like easily put in there. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I I hear you as far as I I, and I from what I can tell, I mean, given that he also, you know, keeps getting these big casts, everyone's treated equally on these sets from what I've read. Like everyone, you know, there's just because Tom Hanks is here doesn't mean that he gets, you know, the the best treatment compared to everybody else. It seems like they act like an actual theater troupe, which is cool. And it's all, I mean, (laughs) it's weird that the, the, just having the standard of good sets with good attitudes is like, that's great to hear for a change. Newsworthy. But yeah, but like, <laughs> it, it's still nice to hear that as far as Anderson films are concerned. Yeah. As far as actors go in this movie, I agree with you, Abe. Like, the, the, there's no like weak link here. I do like uh, Schwartzman quite a bit here. One, because I just yeah. haven't seen him in the lead of something for a while. And he's ostensibly like the lead here. But because of like you mentioned, Alonzo, like all the different things he's tasked with to do as far as yeah. how many character he's playing here is impressive but also it has so much there it's very funny it's there's there's dramatics going on there's you know the it's the emotional core of this right. movie like there's just a lot there that i think he and he gets to wear a fake beard who doesn't like that so i mean like all those things i think work really well smokes a pipe fills back up with like gasoline gasoline <laughs> And I like the fact that that he gets a critique of his performance midway through the movie by uh, Adrian Brody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too much with the pipe and the beard. Yeah, and, yeah. The... <laughs> and the beard. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all. Uh, but Schwartzman, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I was like, this is actually a really good turn for Schwartzman. Not because I didn't think he was a good actor before, but he's also a great drummer. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, and he, he sings. Yeah, and he sings. <laughs> but he's got that great scene where he's line reading with Scarlett Johansson when she's doing the scene where she's in the bathtub with the pills. Uh, and I was like, this is this is incredible stuff. And he has to like do the, he has to do like the stage directions or what exactly. Have you, but also like, like she's telling him to like no really like use your emote. grief, use your grief, yeah, yeah. use your grief. <laughs> and I was like, this is stuff that you know. Some actors just only can dream of. They're like, I wish that I could do a scene like this, like in a movie. And um, Schwarzman is able to pull it off. So kudos to him because he he is he's anchoring a lot of like the scenes in this movie. I, I had watched um, Rushmore again recently. I watched a number of Anderson films again recently. Yeah. Just because I haven't watched them in a while, and why not? They're great. Uh, but watching Rushmore, I'm sure like it was said at the time, but short that being a debut performance for Schwarzman, I don't know if that got enough credit for for how good he is in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, oh, Bill sure. Murray's. Sorry? I said, oh, for sure. Yeah, like, obviously Bill Murray's great in the film, but, like, for a first performance in a film, for a character that you could easily hate, he makes it so compelling and fun to watch him. Like, yeah. it's very impressive. His so character turn is also really well done in that movie as well. For sure. And so seeing him now, where obviously he's, you know, matured even more as an actor, and yeah. I just think he's just really good here. It's just nice to see. Yeah. I had a conversation with a colleague about the idea that this is in some ways a a response to covid movie mm. um there's the the whole the, the fact that so many of the conversations between schwartzman and uh scarlett johansson are taking place where they're in each in their own window uh-huh. that it's like a zoom call but you know in real life um it's pretty cool. and, and also the idea that 
after the the stuff with the UFO where you have um uh, 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 the Jake Ryan character being like, oh, well, everything's going to be cha- everything's changed. Everything's going to be different. And then by the end of the movie, no, everybody's just sort of carrying on with their lives. as they After being before. locked in quarantine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> no, it's an interesting uh, element for sure. I, you know, I, I it, given that this movie's made now, it's hard to think okay. that Anderson didn't have this on his mind at all. Um, yeah, yeah, you have to wonder if that, how much that played into the the sort of mm-hmm. the structuring of the narrative. For sure. Mm-hmm. By the way, you mentioned the UFO. We've talked about so much of this movie. We didn't talk <laughs> once about the fact that it's like, oh yeah, it's also an alien movie. <laughs> this, you, this is going to be under sci-fi in the video store. Yeah, <laughs> it's his cosmic fifties film. You know, one of, one of that 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 other Anderson thing. Yeah. But but even the actor playing the alien knows it's a metaphor, but isn't sure of what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we talked about the aesthetic a little bit, but, you know, Anderson being, you know, one of our greatest autumnal filmmakers, this is a summer movie. <laughs> Which oh, I that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah, I, did, I didn't desert, think about that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it happens very, like in July or something like that, right? And it's very warm and bright. It's not, you yeah. know, there's no there's no autumn colors in this film, which is, a you know, despite having like a black and white element, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But like it... I'm not going to say it makes it dramatically different, but it's also like, oh, this is neat. Like just seeing like primary pastels and whatnot, like playing playing the role and creating this elaborate world of Asteroid City. What do you guys think of like Asteroid City as a setting, by the way? Oh, I, I, I love like the color palette is great because I think it has that sort of like faded color photo quality to it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh-huh. So it's not necessarily what the 50s looked like during the 50s, but maybe what they what we remember them as now. But artists draw them as. Exactly. What's happened to the photos in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And I was also, if, if you get a chance, Google a cartoonist named Bruce McCall. He did a lot of stuff back in the day for National Lampoon. He did a lot of New Yorker um uh, uh, covers and he would sort of take these kind of vintage like he did a whole like for for national community the series of car commercials for these like fake 1950s cars and just they were beautiful but grotesquely oversized uh-huh. you know and and, yeah. and there's something about the way like the diner looks in this movie or the way that different sort of you know the 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 long line of a barricade to get to the crater oh, that, you yeah. know all of that yeah. stuff just reminded me of bruce mccall's uh, uh cartoons i i absolutely even even when the first viewing didn't like totally grab me i had to acknowledge from the from the jump that this movie's just always a delight to look at yeah the um the bridge that goes to nowhere that yeah. they started building. <laughs> the off-ramp yeah, the off-ramp, yeah. <laughs> uh you know a lot of the things that Wes Anderson is kind of like in his set design and and also just the way that he shoots things. It, it is kind of somewhat farcical, but they're all rooted in something. Like I, the way I like the way they sure. described that it, um, like the the fencing there is kind of reminiscent of things that he might have watched when he was a kid. Whether it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon, there's actually a wood uh, a, a, a roadrunner road in this yeah. in this <laughs> movie as well. And when he goes beep meet beep, I laughed and nobody laughed with me again. So um, it's one of those things where, yeah. Your they, theater sucked, Dave. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a terrible viewing. Better places. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I got to go to a different, I got to get an AMC. You got to, you guys are ruining things. Well, there's your problem right there. <laughs> yeah. Nicole Kidman, you lied to me. This is, this is. I thought right. we came to this place to laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to feel, and you know, sometimes heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> But um, no, they're all rooted in something. So that's why when when I'm looking at this this chain link fence yeah. to a walkway to the meteor site, 
I was like, this is very cartoonish, like Looney Tunes cartoonish. Oh, uh, that the missile with do not detonate without yeah. presidential authority is <laughs> yes. so right out of a of a Roadrunner cartoon. I think that's the first time my dad like laughed really loud at the when, when that happened because it's like it's like what uh, pecans, avocados, nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's uh, I I really dig his aesthetic, but again, there's just so much in it. And you know, speaking of set design and characters and what have you, the background characters in this movie are are tremendous. You know, you guys just mentioned the diner sequence. There's just people working the diner that only have one line or sometimes even no line, and they're terrific. Or even like the bodyguard for uh, for Minge's <laughs> character. Like these people don't have lines, but he just sneaks into the back of a yeah, like scene. Bob, Bob Balaban just keeps. Is that Bob Balaban? <laughs> So, but yeah, the, he's like, one of the the, the guys in the, the markings institute. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But like, uh, Midge has like, uh, or yeah, it, it might have been Bob Bellin, but yeah, there's just a lot of really cool and the fun guy in the acting character. class who starts sleepwalking. Yeah, uh, what's that? That's what's is that Fisher Stevens, right? Yeah, Fisher Stevens. Yeah. Oh, okay. He also yeah. plays one of the Larkings Foundation guys. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, but there's Succ- Succession's Fisher Stevens, of course. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Did, yeah. Woof woof. Short Circuit 2 is Fisher Seed. <laughs> yes. uh, I believe um, uh, a social... Does he have an Oscar or did he just like he's part of because he, he was on Blackfish, I believe, right? Like that's what uh, I said, if he does, it's as a documentary producer. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yes. Oscar adjacent winner, Fisher Seed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, last thing as far as kind of the people involved with it, uh, of course, our, our man, Alexandre Tesla, mm-hmm. um, jumps in once again here. And even with these like subtle notes, he's making it work for me. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is, but like just his contribution to Wes Anderson's filmography, and like with this film, where it's just like a little like, obviously there's more going on in moments, but there's like just like a little like piano key jumps in. It's like yeah, that's just perfect. Like I don't know yeah. what else to say. It's like right. it's, he he gets the assignment every single time. It's hard to it's hard to follow the score in a movie that is gives you such delicious needle drops yes it, it does uh, but right. yes i would say when it's there it's it's churse yeah it, it is has a, the score obviously you know obviously there's a number of like 50s tunes to say the least but it has mm-hmm. the one song um what's it from it's Dwight? good but it, it it's the song that's used in mars attacks to kill oh. the aliens <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's my that's oh, my go to the I, I don't it's the same one, but yeah, it, it it definitely is a yodely kind. It's of a yodely kind type of song. Yeah, yeah it, it, it very much, at least, it very much reminded me of that song. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it's like, yeah, this makes it. But also, also, we have the what is it? The song that the little kid, yeah, uh, oh, the space man, up. yeah, yeah. the space man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 features like a, a rodeo dance break. Yes, <laughs> which one of my favorite moments is the fact that like he's like they all just start like doing a dance, and Maya Hawk, who's trying to teach a class, is like. All right, whatever. And she starts doing a jig, and then Montana jumps Two-step. up and joins her. <laughs> yeah, and they start dancing. It's great. It's a, it's a fun sequence. All the kids get up and start dancing too. So, well, what a fun of... set to be a part of. I'm sure. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on uh on Asteroid City? Well, let me ask you guys this: Would yeah, you yeah. guys you guys have seen it twice? Would you guys go see it a third time, or is twice kind of like uh where like you'd get everything that that you kind of missed for the first time? I, I could see myself like seeing this in repertory sure. later, you know, uh, it's 
getting to see a movie three times just seems like a, a crazy indulgence given, you know, like all the other stuff that we have to watch new right. on a week to week basis. For sure. But yeah. I, I could definitely see revisiting this in a few years, maybe okay. with a couple of other Anderson movies after it and then being like oh of course i'm an idiot now i totally see what he's going after sure. so uh yeah I, I i i've not seen the last of this that okay. that's what i keep saying to people about life aquatic the my favorite anderson movie yeah. you <laughs> know i'll tell you my my friend matt zoller sites who has written several books about yep, Wes anderson, i have them. <laughs> and it's like one of the first people to to like you know interview him when he was you know back back when we were all in dallas uh he when he was touring for the first book would always show life aquatic and i'm like really but i <laughs> yeah. i that just that's on me i gotta watch it again because i must be missing something I, I, I it's certainly I think the toughest <laughs> as far as to like if if you're a fan or not a fan you have to like break through it's like yeah this one's more acerbic <laughs> it's it's the most Noah Bombach of the Wes Anderson movies <laughs> it's, it's when, when the that... guns came out I'm like really in a Wes Anderson movie <laughs> does this yeah, look but, real to you yeah but they uh, pumped the Stooges on the soundtrack so who cares uh, <laughs> as when far that as whale we... is doing stuff in the background uh, when when Bill Murray's talking to uh, uh, our our pal uh, what's her face. Cape Landon? No, the other one. Tilda Swinton? Tilda Swinton, yeah. It's just really funny. Or maybe it was Cape. That's not that's not life aquatic. Yeah. It it, it was probably Cape then. But okay. Yeah. The whale's just doing stuff in the background. It's pretty Oh yeah. No, that's Cape Landon for sure. Um But yeah. As far as we as far as rewatchability goes, hey, but like yeah, as far as seeing it in theaters again, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out. But yes. as far as Anderson movies go, like I find Anderson movies for me to be very rewatchable. I agree, yeah. They're almost like a day after like ramen broth where you're like, Oh, it's actually better after overnight. <laughs> but it's steep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a very good comparison. I will say like, it's great that he has, that he's as prolific as he is because every time he has a film come out, I'm like, great. Now I'm going to rewatch the Wes Anderson movies. Like it's a good excuse to put <laughs> them on. Um, but yeah, certainly I don't see myself not revisiting this plenty of times in the future. Sure. You. I think Obviously, I want to watch it the second, second time. time. Yeah. Yeah, just because my first experience was pretty terrible, but I, 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 you know, I did pick up a few things, and I kind of just want to like piece it all together because, um, again, he was kind of like groaning. The guy in my audience kind of groaning and like having like a weird spasm when, um, when I kind of cut to the casting selection of the of the characters in the uh, theater, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I, I'd like to know what's going on here, and then later it kind of comes back with like the whole entire you can't be awake if you're never asleep kind of thing. I was like, I think I missed something here. Yeah, I can understand yeah. if that like you come back to that sequence after lots of distraction, be like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like I was like, I this has to mean something because there's even a song <laughs> in the credits about it. And I was like, I think I missed something here when this guy was like walking to the to the walkway just like spazzing out or something yeah i i have to admit at the moment i'm still thinking like is this the kind of thing that sounds profound but isn't or is it profound <laughs> that i'm just not getting it i i i shan't say i i i know what you mean there and i i i chalk it up to the idea of the you know the pretentious aspect of making a play about the making of another thing and like what I like as a combination of like Norton's Norton's character's own like ideas mm-hmm. for what story he's telling amidst the like stylization of hey here's like this amateur film you know theater troupe that's trying to do something even if they're maybe not reaching it yeah uh, like but it, I mean it, it's worth like revisiting just to analyze like those moments entirely because it's sure. a professional theater group yeah exactly. there you go yeah exactly sorry perfect they are in New York they're... also with an understudy playing the lead role now so right <laughs> here's here's one question I have and then we can then we can wrap up 
obviously Anderson films are very stylized. They have their own kind of rhythms or what have you to them, much like many number of our tours. But where would you, would you say this is one where you could walk into if you're not like a familiar when it comes to Anderson? I don't think so. I, I, I think this is not a, I, I would not class, classify this as an entry level Anderson movie because again, they, because it is throwing all these layers at you. I would say, I, I think like Rushmore or Tenenbaums or you know even for the more recent ones like uh, Moonrise Kingdom, I think would all be good starters. But this one, I think that this one you you have to you know you have to have had a couple of semesters of Anderson before you're ready to tackle it. I'd agree. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like in both camps where a part of me is like, I think you could just jump in and you see like, oh, it's weird, quirky, and uh, I, I don't really get it, but let me watch it again. Uh, but also, I, I would agree with you that there's probably some, some ease-in classes, uh, just to use your analogy of college courses. It's like I think there's some ease-in classes, like including even like Grand Budapest, where it's like, yes, you could sure. get, it's a little bit slower in pace, less, it's frenetic at times. But you can also understand the quirks and idiosyncrasies of Wes Anderson. I could go along with that for sure. sure. I, I I think that makes sense. I, I certainly wouldn't deny anyone seeing a movie they want to see. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. Yeah. I, let alone Just, tell them there's whole. It's not a Marvel movie. There's not homework <laughs> beforehand. I mean, people watch Ant Man, but cold that has like tons of layers No, but exactly what Alonzo was saying early on in this in this uh, um, review of just it's a story about. A story about a story maybe even about another story and just there's there's a lot to it so you know uh, probably not the easiest one to, to get a grip of oh well, that's it we all still enjoyed this movie greatly and i look forward dave to seeing the movie again and having yes. a, maybe some updated thoughts on, on where you lie with this yeah. one let me go to the midnight show where there's only gonna be like three people in the theater well, there you go well uh, as we wrap up this review, Alonzo, the way we rate things here is we ask, when should people go and see this movie? What 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 venue should they uh, actually see after? Should they see it right away in theaters? Should they wait for a dollar theater? Should they do a streaming, streaming. release? So in that regard, when should people see Asteroid City? Oh, I think for the first run, uh, if only because this is a movie where so much of the pleasure that it has it comes from the big screen experience. So, and and he shot this on film, you know. So yeah. you you want to see it with you know a, a good projector bulb and and a good sound system, mm -hmm. and you know just allow yourself to be enveloped in it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, this is a worth a first run ticket. Abe. Yeah, I'm also theater with this. You know, I, I didn't have the, the best experience, but at the same time, everything you guys mentioned about the color palettes, like the saturation levels of 50 style stuff, like it, it all makes sense for it to be in theaters. I, I agree. If there was a premium screen option, I would say that. So really? Just, wow, you, you loved it that it, much. Yeah, see it in a Dolby, see it in an RBX, hey, whatever. Like, hey. I, I, think, I think this movie is pretty fantastic. Uh, what would the D-Box effects on this one be exactly? It's when, uh, you know, the kid uh, turns on his jetpack. Oh, like, there whoa! You go. The, the death ray. Um... When the nuclear testing goes on. Right. Yeah. Every <laughs> so often the, in the distance. The, just when the UFO comes down, there'd be a vibrating. You know? uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, certainly really took that run met meteor. <laughs> <laughs> certainly high on the film is what I'm saying. Certainly right. see it, you know, it's, it's, as quickly as you can while it's small. Forward to you seeing your uh, middle of the year top ten when we do that episode next month. I mean, pretty much now is when we do it, like <laughs> next week. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, 
those are our thoughts on Asteroid City. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get Abe. What uh, what time is it over here? Oh, it's time for a quick game. <laughs> Little known fact: Alexander Desplat was like, "Aaron, can you write me a jingle?" Aaron sent that one in. And he's like, no, I think I'll just use like one keystroke when I'm doing my music. The the difference is though, because me and Displot, me and me and Alex are oh, yeah. um, are such close close friends, he would actually listen. He wouldn't just say that to exactly. Me. Yeah, yeah. He he listened to the whole thing through. You know, um, I've got a game for you guys this week. It's called No, I played him or her. Uh, this is a, a game in which nobody has to buzz in. Uh, this is all. Uh, I'll go to each one of you individually. Multiple choice. I will name a character from a Wes Anderson movie and give you three choices. And if you guess the right person who played this character, you'll get the point. Wow. Okay. Alonzo, you are our guest this week. First time guest. Uh, let's start off with Raleigh St. Clair. Was it Bill Murray, Seymour Cassell, or Danny Glover? Wow. That name does ring a bell. Uh, I'm going to say Danny Glover. That is incorrect. Uh, Aaron, for the steal? Murray. Bill Murray. This is from the Royal Tenenbaums. He plays oh. He plays Raleigh St. Clair, neurologist. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've cuckled. You've made a cuckold of me. Uh, Aaron, the uh, next one is for you. Ned Plimpton. Was that played by Willem Dafoe? Owen Wilson... Or Seymour Cassell. That's uh, Owen Wilson. Although Steve Zissou would have um, named him Kingsley if he had. His I probably name. shouldn't have given you that one because you do love the love aquatic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I randomized the questions here, but now I'm just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Quick reminder: I did not go back and rewatch any West Ham before <laughs> doing Asteroid City, so I'm at a definite disadvantage. Okay, I, I will close my eyes during the next few questions. <laughs> uh, Alonzo, next one to you. Scoutmaster Ward. Was that played by Lucas Hedges, Jason Schwartzman, or Bruce Willis? Uh, Bruce Willis? That is correct. Yeah. I was I was if you had said Edward Norton, I would have totally gone on that. One, <laughs> I was so. yeah, I thought it was Ed Norton. Glad, so. glad you left him out. Uh Aaron, next one for you. Serge X. Was that played by Adrian Brody? Harvey Keitel or Matthew? Um, Amalric. X. Uh, I I will say Matthew Amalric. Yes, that's right. That's French Dispatch. I take it. That's actually Grand Budapest. He's, oh, it's Grand he's Budapest. the guy who has the, the art collection. Oh, he's the guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Serge X. Everyone's favorite Bond villain. <laughs> uh. Well. Uh. Alonzo, this one's here. Roebuck Wright. You might even just know this right offhand. Robuck Wright. Try me. What, what, what are my choices? <laughs> Adrian Brody, Jeffrey Wright, or Bill Murray? Uh, Adrian Brody? That is incorrect. That's the right character, right? That is, uh, yes, that's right. That is the right character. Um, Jeffrey Wright is, is that. that was, oh, uh, from French Dispatch? Yeah, French yeah, Dispatch, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, the next one here, <clears throat> Aaron, for you. Deputy Kovacs. Uh, played by Willem Dafoe, Edward Norton, or Jeff Goldblum? Uh, I think Norton's the only one that's a cop in any of these. Norton? 
That is incorrect. Oh, okay. Alonzo for the steal. Uh, Deputy Kovacs. Willem Dafoe or Jeff Goldblum? Willem Dafoe. That is incorrect. Oh, it's it Goldblum? was Jeff Goldblum. In which? Yeah, that was in Grand Budapest. He gets his fingers cut off. Oh, oh okay. He's a deputy? Oh, because he's like a... He's, all right. he's like that. He's only in it for a little bit of time. But he's like, okay, because he's he was like working on like the estate or whatever. Okay. I was like, I was thinking cop when he said deputy. Um <laughs> uh, next one here. Uh, this one's to you, Alonzo. Tracy Walker, played by Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, or Scarlett Johansson. Tracy Walker. Uh, Scarlett Johansson? That is incorrect. Is that the and Greta Gerwig character? That is a Greta Gerwig character. The Isle of Dogs? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. I'm Voice acting, for... yeah. What was Greta Gerwig in, of course? Uh, a couple more. Uh, Aaron. Uh-huh. Dr. Nelson Guggenheim. <laughs> okay. Was that played by Stephen McColl, Brian Cox, or Bill Murray? That's Cox and Rushmore, right? That Guggenheim? is Cox and Rushmore. Okay. It probably doesn't help that you just watched it like a day ago. <laughs> I, I remember my Guggenheims. <laughs> <laughs> and Alonzo, uh, the last one here for you to start. Herbsat Sazerac. Was that played by Bob Balaban, Owen Wilson, or Liev Schreiber? You know you're crazy, Guggenheims. Um, <laughs> I will say Liev Schreiber. That is incorrect. Oh, God, Aaron, for the steal. Is it Balaban? It's not Bob Balaban. It's oh, wow. Bob Wilson. He's the, uh, this is Fresh Dispatch. This is the guy who just bikes around. Oh, okay. Stories whenever he feels like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, with that. These names. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look at these well, casts that he's able to get. <laughs> there are a lot of theater joke, in-joke names in, in Asteroid City. Like the fact that yes. the director's name is Schubert Green. Um, the Tarkington Theater, like those are the these are all references to other things, yeah. Mm. I also dig that uh, Jason Schwartzman's character is uh, uh, Augie Steenbeck, and I was like, oh, interesting, literary, maybe literary uh, plot point here. But, um, with all the that, Steenbeck being said, is also the old uh, editing machines that people used oh. back when they did it analog. <laughs> there you go, learn something new every day. Uh, Aaron, you are the winner of this week's games, but Alonzo, great effort, great steal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're you're terribly kind. <laughs> well, great. Thanks for the game, Abe. Welcome. Let's uh how you play. No, I play him or her. Okay, let's get into some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash out now podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners and they gave us some answers, and then they gave us some questions that we can answer. Wow. Alonzo, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go through our questions yeah. here. Okay. First question we have here is what is your favorite setting for a Wes Anderson movie? Scott writes Life Aquatic, but it's not top tier Wes Anderson. Keith writes probably the train Darjeeling Limited and Summer's End in Moonrise Kingdom. And Chris writes Grand Budapest Hotel is very cool. But can't beat under the sea, and it's definitely a top tier Wes Anderson. Wink. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> you guys have a favorite Wes Anderson setting? Well, I love Angelica Houston's house in Life Aquatic, but it's because it's Gore Vidal's house. <laughs> I did not know that. That that really it's Gore. That's Gore Vidal's yeah, house. That was okay. his house. Huh. Uh, the the house in Royal Tenenbaums, Tenenbaum yes! Manor, whatever. Mm, sure, yeah, Eleven yes. Archer Avenue. I was going to say that too. Yeah. 
you're gonna say okay so that's your answer okay yeah <laughs> all right or or uh or the the tennis court where richie starts like bombing on those kids <laughs> um what's your favorite father from a wes anderson film who's your favorite father from a wes anderson film uh scott writes the royal he writes royal tannenbaum uh chris has mr fox and steve zisu who may or may not be a dad philip has <laughs> royal tannenbaum and marcus robbins in front of the show just writes no Marcus. <laughs> uh, uh, I also oh. go with Mr. Fox. Uh, Mr. Fox or Mr. Fisher? Oh, Mr. Fisher. Yes, that uh, that wonderful moment when he introduces Bill Murray to his father is uh, yeah, just an all timer for us. Really, he just really gets why he, he made up all these lies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question here is: Who is a performer that hasn't been in a Wes Anderson film that you believe would be right at home in one? Uh, Scott writes, Adam Driver seems like he'd be a good fit with his deadpan delivery. Gary has Diane Keaton. Maxwell, friends, has Aubrey Plaza. And Chris has Jennifer Goodwin, Jillian Anderson, or Audrey Tattoo. Anderson feels like she should have been in one by now. That seems like a pretty good pick for this. Jillian Anderson? Yeah. yeah. She has that aesthetic. Sure. I- I'm just I'm furiously checking to see that he hasn't already been in one. I'm going to say Paul Giamatti. He hasn't, no. That so, yeah, that's... seems like it'd be like, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, David Hyde Pierce. Another one where it's like, how, how is he not? As Niles. <laughs> he seems, that, that seems like that should be like an early pick. <laughs> Museum curator or just have him as a psychologist again. That'd be great. Psychiatrist, I'm sorry. <laughs> Think of any others. Hmm. If you think of anything, just shout it out. I'll, I'll just shout it out randomly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next uh, question. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know what? Yeah. I got one more. Annette Benning. Oh, sure. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. Still in my mind. <laughs> uh, Donald Sutherland. Um, just throw him in there. As, as the curator from The Simpsons, though. Or like a hip teen. Yeah. Yes, as a you and your children's children. For and your children's children's children. <laughs> For three uh, months. You know, and because I think it would not hurt Wes Anderson to have more black people in his film, uh, Alfred Woodard. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question. What are some great films featuring a family road trip? Gary Sofford, friend of the show, writes Little Miss Sunshine. And Chris has The Mitchells versus Machines and Chef. Mm. All right. Great family road trip movies. I mean, they're forgetting the all timer or goofy movie. Yeah. <laughs> They even have a song. It's funny that when I wrote this question, I thought I thought of a goofy movie and you saying it specifically. <laughs> this is how we know that we've been doing the podcast for too long. <laughs> like if it doesn't come up in the answers, Abe is going to bring up a goofy movie. Goofy movie yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Vacation is the low hanging fruit here. Sure. Um, but I, I want to recommend a movie that was on my top ten list last year. Uh, the uh, debut film from uh, Iranian filmmaker Panah Panahi. Uh, mm. Called Hit the Road. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a great. Uh, it's you know it is not a wacky comedy, although there are mm-hmm. humorous uh, elements to it. But it is a it is a great family road picture. That's a good film for sure. I believe it's on Hoopla or Canopy right now. If I'm not mistaken, okay. for people that want to check that out. Um, I'll add Nebraska. That's what I'm throwing it. Yeah, yeah. He did win that trek at the end. Kind of. He showed Stacy <laughs> Keach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stacy Keach punched got punched in the face. All right. Um, uh, that asks a question here. What are some great films featuring elaborate framing devices? Irene has Princess Bride. Also, I kind of want to say Memento, but I'm not sure if that counts. I'd say that counts. Irene, it does count. 
see elaborate framing devices in films aside from the anderson movies <laughs> um, <laughs> uh inception there you go uh one that i don't think gets enough credit is sydney lumet's last film before the devil knows you're dead oh yeah oh which is constantly going backwards to tell you something that you didn't already know that makes what you do know even worse. <laughs> yeah. That that movie the rules. The worst part is like true, yeah. <laughs> that movie it's so like the the energy of a young 20 something making his first movie and Sidney Lumet's like I'm about to die but give here watch, watch this. Yeah. Like, it's such a great movie. <laughs> Hold my ensure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get Philip I get Philip Seymour Hoffman giving the performance of a lifetime as a guy that's going to burst open from his head any second. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to change my answer from uh, Inception to Tenant just cuz uh, uh who's protocol? Ours my friend. Okay. <laughs> Because there's a buddy cop movie in that movie. We have some great adventures together. Yeah, we get into some stuff. You'll see. (laughs) All right. uh, Last question we asked here. What are some notable films set in the desert? Chris writes, Ice Cold and Alex. Dune and Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Uh, Todd, leaving out a friend of the show, writes, The the Hills Have Eyes. (laughs) Irene has Lawrence of Arabia and Flight of the Phoenix. Gary has Greed and Bad Day at Black Rock. Good pick. Uh, Christopher has Stargate. Jacqueline has Tremors. And Stefan has The Prince of Egypt. Mm. It's a wide variety of desert yeah. movies. Let me yeah. Hmm. They hit on some of my faves that I would have gone for. Let's uh, see. Other desert, desert. desert. Rango. Yes. Yeah. And then they end up at a golf course yeah. with Bill Murray. Who? <laughs> uh, Gosh, I'm trying to think. Films in the desert. Um, I mean, they're not in the desert all the time, but Raiders of the Lost Ark. Got some desert in there. Yeah. Tintin. They get lost in the desert. They do. Yeah. Remember when he had to drink alcohol to like make the engine go faster? And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't even planned. Spielberg's just like, Andy, you don't have any ideas for this? He's like, what if I make our son is rubbing alcohol? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, 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 I had I had greed and Lawrence of Arabia, and those got taken. So I was okay. like, okay, uh, there you go, just echoing. No, no worries. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia, like an all-time movie pick. I second those emotions. Yeah. Okay, there you go. All right, now let's get some questions that we had this. Yeah, week. Yeah, we got some questions this week. Uh, Scott asked everybody here today, "Where did I leave my sunglasses?" Scott, probably in the last place you put them. Yep, good answer. Yeah. Did you look in the glove compartment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Check the uh, uh, check the uh, the the uh, the rear of the where the key where you put the keys in the car too. Yeah, I was gonna be like, I was just gonna pull another Simpsons. Um, are they uh, on your head? Iconoclast. Uh, are they on your head? There's. A are they question. on your head? Yeah. <laughs> they said the iconoclast uh, line, which is like sometimes when I lose something, I, I check my shoe because sometimes it's in my shoe. Uh, Scott also asks us. Uh, here's a kind of movie related question. I catch a lot of classic films on TCM. There's been a lot of shakeup. People leaving, new people moved into other positions, etc. Do you think the end is coming for free, commercial-free, classic movie access? My thought is it's probably moving to either its own streaming channel or tied into another current streaming platform. I know Max has a TCM hub now. What do you think will be the next move? Scott, this is a very relevant question. Yeah, so obviously that's to do with the whole TCM 
stuff taking place where a lot of the layoffs and possible shifts are going on, including, and then there's emergency meetings with yeah. Spielberg and Scorsese and PTA mm-hmm. jumping on David Zaslav, which I would love to be a fly in the wall of that conversation, but here yeah. we are. Yeah, to be clear, people aren't leaving. People are being removed. Yes. That's uh, the tragedy <laughs> of this. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm obviously, I have a tiny bit of stake in this. I mean, I was doing stuff for Filmstruck when it, uh, you know, was the first to to, mm-hmm. to to go. And I'm currently working on a book that is supposed to come out, you know, in the spring that is under the sort of TCM banner at Running Press. So I would like them to be around for those reasons on top of just everything they do that is so great and how important they are. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is technically not a free commercial free channel. It is a premium cable channel. You have to, you know, kind of subscribe at a higher tier, but obviously cable itself is disappearing around us. And so I hope there is some way that there's some paradigm that exists that Warner Brothers Discovery will still, you know, put money into this and manpower and all the things that were required to make TCM is great as it's been, as important it's been a force in the industry in terms of archiving and, uh, you know, celebrating the past, remembering, you know, films that might have fallen between the cracks and, and you know, giving them a, a, a new uh, level of analysis and celebration. Um, I don't know what it looks like. I Part of me fears the worst because Zaslav just appears to me to be like the worst kind of hedge fund bro who's going to come yeah, in, yeah. shop up Warner Brothers and sell it all for parts and then go on his merry way. But mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a tweet that this was also happening around the time that Ocean Gate, this submersible kind of went missing. But there was a tweet that somebody wrote that, oh, I guess they got it right, that CEOs kind of just don't know how to do anything um, except for, quote, drinking songs that they had back in like their business school days. I was like, yeah, it seems kind of right. So Zaslav, I don't know. But if you have an emergency meeting with Spielberg, uh, PTA, and also Scorsese, that's gotta mean something, and yeah, like echo what Aaron said. Like, just give me, give me a screenplay written by Aaron Sorkin, flying the wall, and uh, <laughs> I'd love to see that scene play out. Although, again, not to to be a bummer, like they really did try to come to the defense of Filmstruck too. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, it, well, that was before Spielberg was in his uh, his condescending scarf days. So we'll see if <laughs> more of an impact. <laughs> <laughs> this time around now that we know about his father for real now he's got more power Boom. i um yeah <laughs> so scott i'm sorry we don't have a definitive answer for your question i just the I, hope hoping for the best is what we got <laughs> um, right now um gary uh Sofford asked a question here what movies do you like that feature trains hmm. i saw asteroid city today liked it a lot and i found myself flashing on bad day at black rock which was released about the same 50 mid 50s period that wes anderson's film is set in what movies do you guys like about trains hmm. i'm gonna throw in mine right away the taking of pelham one two three a person sure. both of them nope <laughs> okay <laughs> not <it>. the least <laughs> get it okay <laughs> uh the lady vanishes Lady Van, a great movie. Is a great train movie. Uh, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, obviously. Mm-hmm. John Frankenheimer's The Train. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I don't love Darjeeling Limited, but I do love the towels and the suitcases. <laughs> and the needle drops are tremendous in that movie as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, December Morrow, I always think of them running to catch that train and Bill Murray missing it. Um, uh, I'm gonna add, uh, uh Snowpiercer. That's about a train, right? Snowpiercer, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll add um uh what well, I mean I won't I won't sponsor a Tony Scott's remake of Pelham, but I will sponsor Unstoppable, <laughs> which rocks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, how about the general with Buster Keaton? Just a, just sure. to, just to give a wide the general get it. Just a wide berth of films. Yeah. Here, so. uh, yeah. And you know, let's not forget Paddington too. Paddington well, sure, yeah. obviously. Yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Can we have Paddington uh, three? They, they they announced that they got more cast members. I'm I'm Fingers so excited. Crossed. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh that's out now feedback. Feedback feedback feedback. And that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Out Now Theron and Dave. Uh, you can find everything I do over at my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there, but I write for We Live Entertainment for movie reviews and Why is the Blue for Criterion and Blu-ray reviews. I'm also part of the Summer of 93 at 30 podcast hey. series. That's on the Brandon Peters show. It is where Brandon Peters, Scott Mendelson, and myself are talking about the summer movie season from 1993. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we recorded all the episodes already, so they're all coming out, and I'm having a blast. Uh, make, I think was basically make fun of Scott for most of those movies. Uh, <laughs> but, but generally, it's a lot of fun, so please check Sounds, that out. Sounds uh, pretty regular, actually. Uh, and then uh, I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more friends up for my Instagram, Abe.Moo, and Twitter.com slash Walrus Moose. Hashtag Dwight, put out that cigarette. Uh, Alonzo Duraldi, where can people find more of you online? Sure. Well, let's see. I'm uh, at a Duraldi, A-D-U-R-A-L-D-E on Twitter, where I pretty much aggressively link to everything else that I'm doing. Um, also at Linoleum Cast on Instagram. You can read my stuff over at thefilmverdict.com. You will be asked to register, but it's free. They just want your email address for whatever they want it for. Uh, you can hear me on the podcast Linoleum Knife, which I do with my husband, Dave White, and we've been around for going on 13 years. Wow. Uh, also, uh, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire, where we live on on, uh, YouTube as well as uh, podcatchers, uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, and uh, I pop in pretty regularly at the Deck the Hallmark podcast, where I'm usually reviewing non-Hallmark, non-Lifetime Christmas movies of the recent past that you probably never knew existed, and for the most part, you're okay with that. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you very much thank for that. Thank you so much, yeah. Thanks and, for having uh, me, you guys. Oh, for sure. Uh, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now Theory on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud Automatic Initiative VLD. Every uh, email us at outnowpodcast.com. Check out Facebook, Facebook.com, slash outnowpodcast, or Twitter.com, slash outnowpodcast. And Instagram.com, slash outnowpodcast as well. Once again, thank you very much, Alonzo, for joining us for this thank week's Thank you, episode. Alonzo. This has been great. It's great meeting you. My pleasure, sirs. For sure. Um, next week's show, we will be talking Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, so that's what's going you on. Keep that voice the entire review. Next I'll week. see what I can do, but it is exhausting. <laughs> but um... oh, I, mean, I have a desert movie. Baghdad oh. Cafe. Boom. There Boom. <laughs> Under the we wire. We stick by our word. That you Under say the whatever wire. you want. <laughs> we always suggest that too. Don't, don't get guests rarely jump in yeah. and say the thing. But yes, good. Good <laughs> to get that in there. But uh, once again, thanks to Alonzo. Thanks to the listeners for listening. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. I don't know what train he's on, won't you tell me where he's gone?